Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, last week of the series, last week of Spirit-Filled Jesus, Live by His Power. This is the sermon I've been waiting for. I've been praying for you for months. I believe God has a divine appointment set for you today. I believe that some of you are going to become Christians. And some of you who are Christians, you're gonna get unburdened, you're gonna get freed up, you're gonna get launched into the next season of goodness that God has for you. And what we're gonna deal with today is one of the most important things in the history of the world and one of the primary themes of the entire word of God, and that is the forgiveness of sins. And let me start by asking you, if you just think about it for a moment, what is your current financial debt? Okay, your mortgage, credit card, car payment, uh, maybe it is a school loan, whatever the case might be, just roughly, how many of you know to the dollar, right? How many of you know, all right? And your nervous eye twitch is reminding you what that amount is. How many of you, you're like, I have a general rough idea of how much, but can you come up with a rough number of how much you owe? How much does that debt burden you? How much does it dictate your life? How much do you have to coordinate much of your life circumstances to deal with that debt? Here's my point. Most people are far more familiar with their financial debt than their spiritual debt. That in addition to our financial debt, we also have a spiritual debt. That is our debt to God. That is our debt to God. And so what do you think you owe God? And the Bible calls that sin. Sin is when we have words that we are not supposed to speak or deeds that we are not supposed to do. Uh, Sin includes commission, where we do a bad thing. Omission, where we don't do the right thing. Sin includes the thoughts of our minds and the intentions of our heart. How many of you have not really looked at your life and asked, wow, if God made me and I belong to God and I owe God, How much do I owe God? It's a debt. It's a spiritual debt to God. Now, what happens is in almost every religion, there is some concept of this debt. We are made by God with a conscience. There is an understanding and awareness that we are fallen and have fallen short. In some religions, this debt is repaid through reincarnation and karma. So you come back and suffer over and over and over till you've paid off your debt. In some religions like Islam, you need to do a lot of good things to outweigh your bad things. It's almost like a scale and you need to pay God back and you need to pay your debt back through good works. Now, that being said, um, in Christianity, ours is the only religion where this payment is not made by us. It's made by God. This causes Christianity to be different than every other religion. Religions will agree there's a debt. The issue is who pays the debt. And Jesus tells us that debt and sin are synonymous. In something called the Lord's Prayer, it's the most famous prayer in the history of the world. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Forgive us this day our daily, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And in one place, it says sin. So it's in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 are the two places that this prayer appears. In one, it says, forgive us our debts. In the other, it says, forgive us our sins. Because for God, debt and sin are synonymous. Debt and sin are synonymous. When we sin, we accrue a debt to God. So to you, what debt do you owe God? And how do we repay that debt? Well, I have good news for you. That debt is paid in full, but not by you. It's paid instead totally by Jesus. Uh, We read this in Luke 23, 34. So the story is this, that God made us, we sinned against him, we rebelled against him, we accrued a debt to God. We belong to God, we come from God, we return to God, we give an account to God. And that God, knowing that we had sinned against him, he sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God became a man, entered into human history to pay our debt to pay your debt, to pay my debt. Jesus never sinned. So Jesus is the only perfect life in the history of the world. Uh, Jesus alone has no debt to pay of his own. What we do, we don't thank him, we arrest him, we try him, we convict him, we condemn him, we shame him, and ultimately we murder him. At the cross of Jesus, we see both the goodness of God and the badness of the human heart. 
God comes to love us and we murder him. That shows how wonderful he is and how woeful we are. On the cross, as he is dying, Jesus is paying the payment or penalty for sin. The Bible says the wage for sin is what? For those of you who know it, death, death. So the way that you pay this debt is by death. And Jesus offers himself in our place and the Bible will call this ransom, that he's the one who pays the debt. So all of this is kind of banking and financial language. While he's hanging on the cross, Jesus says seven final words. Uh, it begins, Father, he is praying for us. As Jesus is dying, he is praying for you. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is going to die to answer his own prayer. And what happens is as he is dying, he is praying for our forgiveness. That's amazing, amen? How many of you, if, if your enemies were murdering you, how many of you would be praying for their forgiveness? Right? One of you say you would and you're lying. There's just none of us, amen? Now, they don't like what Jesus has to say. And so they take a sponge a soldier does and shoves it in his mouth. That was probably a sponge that was itch issued as part of the military field kit. And it's what they would have used as their toilet paper. They would cleanse themselves and then they would sop it in an antiseptic, put it back into their pack. And so to, to shame and to silence Jesus talking about forgiveness, they shove essentially you know, their toilet brush, their toilet paper in the mouth of God. With that taste on his mouth, Jesus continues to do ministry and love people. He actually forgives a guy who's getting crucified with him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He forgives that guy. And Jesus suffers and dies in our place to pay our debt. And then at the very end, Jesus says, it is finished. And all the work is done and the debt is paid to God. The debt is paid to God. Here's what I need you to know. If you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. If you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you are not forgiven. This is the most important decision you will ever make. This is the most important fact about you. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Or do you not believe in Jesus? Do you not belong to Jesus? There is no other way to have the penalty of sin paid and it is paid either by Jesus on the cross or you in hell. Either the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus for you or it is poured out by God on you forever in hell. This is it. Let me make it really clear. You have a decision to make. You have a decision to make whether or not you will receive Jesus' gift of forgiveness. If you receive it, you are forgiven. How many of you right now would be really excited if a total stranger walked up to you and said, you know, I just really love you and I would like a relationship. Could you please tell me your combined total debt so that I could pay for that right now? How many of you would say, A, I like you and B, I receive the gift, amen? <laughs> Jesus comes up and says, here's your debt. I am glad to pay and would like a relationship. Now imagine if the person that came up to you with your financial debt said, and while we're at it, any future debt you accrue, I will also absorb that debt. Jesus forgives all of your sin in the past, all of your sin in the present, and all of the sin in the future, bad stuff you haven't even gotten to yet because you've been busy with other bad stuff, <laughs> right? That's amazing, right? How many of you, you would really love your credit card company if every month they just zeroed out your account no matter what you put on your card? You'd say, that's amazing, I want that card. Well, that's the Jesus card. You don't get that card till you get to heaven, right? But ultimately, Jesus is the one who pays all of our debt. If you have not given your sin to Jesus, you need to do that now. And it really is a decision between you and Jesus or in your heart and in your mind, you say, Jesus, I give you my sin and I receive your forgiveness, the paying of my debt. If you will do that now from the heart, that transaction occurs in the heavenly realms and it occurs in the presence of God and it changes your relationship with God. How many of you have been forgiven of all of your sins and you're glad about that, amen? It's good news, it's really good news. So here's a couple of things. The issue is between you and God ultimately. 
Some people say, I can't forgive myself. Let me tell you this, it's not between you and you. You're not gonna die and stand before a mirror and give an account for yourself. You're gonna die and stand before God and give an account. It's ultimately between you and God. You need to receive that forgiveness. Some people say, I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. That sounds spiritual, but it's actually offensive. It's saying, well, there's Jesus and he forgives me, but I'm above Jesus and I can't forgive myself. Therefore, my decision overrides his. You're not above Jesus. If he says you're forgiven, guess what you are? You're forgiven. Um, There may be consequences for bad decisions that we make, but God doesn't punish us because he's already punished Jesus. If you're a child of God, when you're suffering, God is not punishing you. You do not need to pay God back. Jesus already paid. You don't need to suffer, right? You don't need to do something or endure something to pay God back. Jesus already paid. And God will not harden his heart toward you. God will not change his mind toward you. God will not uh, undo the transaction that he has done at the cross of Jesus for you. The result is that you can live in this new relationship as a new person following Jesus and becoming like the one who pays your debt. We show this in church with baptism, that Jesus died and was buried and rose to conquer Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God and to pay our debt. If you've never been baptized as a believer, today we wanna baptize you. We wanna baptize you. Uh, In addition, we show this forth in communion. The bread represents Jesus' broken body. The drink, wine or juice, depending upon your conscience, represents his shed blood. Every time we take communion, we're saying, Jesus paid my debt, okay? And anytime someone is baptized, we're saying, Jesus died for me so that I can live with him. So this is the totality of the Christian faith. Now the question then becomes, what do we do with this gift? Because this gift of forgiveness is not something just to enjoy, it's something to share. And I am going to encourage you to share it with others. And we're gonna look at seven reasons why forgiven people should be forgiving people. Here's the first one. Um, Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy, you know why you're holy? Because Jesus gives you his righteousness and he takes your sin. He takes off of you that which is corrupt. He puts on you that which is holy. He trades places with you. Holy and beloved, God loves you with a father's heart. Those of you who are parents, grandparents, you love your kids, God loves you with a father's affection. You are his beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another. Is there anyone here that might potentially, hypothetically have a grievance or a complaint against another human being on planet earth? Amen. There are offended people and dead people. Those are the only two categories. That's all there is. So if you're alive, you're in the offended category. If you have a complaint, what? Forgiving. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. So my first question was, what do you owe? Here's my next question, what do they owe? Who owes you? What person, don't shout their name, all right? (laughs) And if you're married to them, don't raise their hand, okay? Just, just hang with me. But who owes you? And, and what I find is practically after more than two decades as a senior pastor, that, that, that there are people that make significant withdrawals from our relationship account. This happens oftentimes in one of two ways. They do a big thing that's bad, major withdrawal. Who has made a major withdrawal? And they owe you. Or it may not be a big thing, but that relationship was a big priority. Uh, Someone taught me this when I sinned against them. A younger man was going into ministry and I was meeting with him and he seemed frustrated or hurt. And I asked, did I say or do something? He said, actually, I've, I've sort of held something against you some months prior. He said, you said this and it really hurt me. How many of you, You say and do things and you don't even remember them, but someone else does. I didn't remember it, he did. And I said, well, I trust you. If you say that I said that, I'm sorry. I said, said, it's really hurt you deeply. And I, I asked him, I said, why is that? And he said, well, 
what you said wasn't a big deal, but you're a big deal. I thought, okay, I just, I just learned a valuable lesson at someone else's expense. Sometimes it's a big deal. Sometimes the person is a big deal. He, he looked at me like a spiritual father. He was a young man. Now, brothers can say things, but if a father says that to a son, it has a totally different impact and effect. Sometimes it's a big deal. Sometimes the person is a big deal. And I asked his forgiveness and I prayed with him and, and I, I thanked him for sharing that with me because out of my sin against him, he taught me a valuable lesson. How do you know that you're unforgiving, bitter? How about this? You ever say, you owe me. What that is, is unforgiveness. They need to pay. How about this? I'm going to get even. Oh, you've heard these. (laughs) Just wait. And what that means is you're going to pay and I'm I'm gonna sneak up on you and it's gonna hurt, okay? Now, let me ask you this question. Is there anyone that if you could harm them with no consequence, God was taking a nap, right? The police turned a blind eye. No one would ever know. Hypothetically, you could harm them. Is there, I don't know why this is funny. I don't know why, I don't. Maybe it's personal, okay. Um, If you could harm them and have no consequence, is there someone that comes to mind? Some of you are like, I have a parade in my mind. then you're unforgiving, amen? You're unforgiving. If you could stab one person, Tony, I would stab Tony. Well, then you're bitter against Tony. All right, and that was very quick. So let me tell you about what forgiveness is and is not. Forgiveness is often a private matter between you and God. Sometimes you don't even need to tell the other person. Uh, forgiveness is both a one-time event and an ongoing process. They come to Jesus and they say, how often we gotta forgive somebody? Seven times? Because that was what the liberal scholar said. He said, 70 times seven. Even if you're not good at math, you go, that's a lot. That's the point. Because sometimes they do it again. Or sometimes the consequence or the pain comes back again. Like I know somebody, their dad was killed by a drunk driver. They have to forgive that person every Christmas because their dad is gone. They need to forgive that person at their birthday because their dad is gone. They have to keep forgiving because the consequences move into the future even though the event was in the past. Forgiveness is the opposite of vengeance. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is saying, it's out of my hands. I'll give it into your hands. You deal with them and I trust you. That's why forgiving someone truly is, it's a matter of faith. Because some of you say, I can't let them get away with it. No, 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 no. Faith is letting God deal with it. Faith is letting God deal with it. Uh, Forgiveness does not require an apology. One of the great demonic lies, uh, I'm a Bible guy, but within something called biblical counseling, which sometimes is not that biblical, it's more the spirit of the Pharisees, there is a, a strong teaching that says that you can't forgive someone until or unless they apologize and repent, which means you need to remain bitter until they decide to make it better. That's not good for you, that's not godly, right? You have the power to heal up. They do not have control over you. You have control over the future that God has for you. You can forgive them whether, because you know what? How many of you have ever had a conflict with someone and they didn't think they did anything wrong? You ever met that person? Sorry, I didn't do anything wrong. You're like, yeah, I did, no, I didn't. Okay, we'll stand before Jesus. Between now and then I forgive you and then he's gonna tell you you're wrong, okay? Or sometimes you'd never see that person again or they die before they apologize. Forgiveness is not enabling foolishness, irresponsibility or sin. You can forgive someone without letting them continue to do the harmful thing. Forgiveness is not trust or reconciliation. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned, okay? Forgiveness is free, trust is earned, okay? You're dating someone, they cheat on you, you break up and they say, I thought you forgave me, I did. And then I dumped you, we're not dating anymore. (laughs) I totally forgive you and I'm done, right? It's not trust, it's not reconciliation. I can move on and forgive you. 
Your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness, amen? You can forgive someone and you're sending the case on to the Lord and he could still send them to hell. I'm just telling you, justice comes either at the cross of Jesus or in hell. And your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness and forgiveness is not covering a crime, right? If someone's doing something illegal and or their victims and people they're hurting, you can forgive them and also protect the victims. Now, what this allows, forgiveness allows covenantal relationships. There are two kinds of relationships that we have. One is contractual, the other is covenantal. In a contractual relationship, this is how we do business. In a contract, how many of you sign deal contracts all the time, right? You buy a house, contract, buy a car, contract, everything's contract. And contract is if then, it's conditional. And if you don't meet the terms, there are consequences and punishments and pains. We have to have contractual relationships in the business world, especially in a fallen world. But our relationships with believers, especially those we love, they cannot be contractual because it's all about punishment and keeping record. And it's not about forgiving. Covenantal relationships are about love. They're about grace. They're about mercy. They're about forgiveness. They're about, I pay a price so we can have a relationship. I don't make you pay a price so that we can have a relationship. People that don't understand this, they will be exceedingly successful in business and fail in their personal relationships, starting with their family. True or false, have you seen this? Sometimes the people that are the greatest with contracts have bad relationships because they take a business mentality into their relationships, including their family. What does this look like? I will tell you one of the stupidest things I've ever said to my wife, Grace, okay? Now there are so many candidates, it's sort of hard to come to the winner, um, okay? But this is, this is one of the final round candidates of stupidest things I've ever said to Grace. When Grace and I argue and fight, here's what I've learned, it's my fault. That's what I've learned, because her name is Grace, my initials are M-A-D, Mark Allen Driscoll, mad. It's mad versus grace. Guess who's wrong, okay? Um, so we were having a discussion um, and uh, I looked at Grace and I said, you know, if you work for me, I would have fired you a long time ago. <laughs> she forgave me, that's why I'm alive, okay? So... <laughs> True or false, that was not the right thing to say. That was not helpful to our relationship. She did not say, and I love you, and I'm so honored to be with you, and I sense the presence of Jesus when I'm near you. No. <laughs> I had a contract mindset for our covenant. You know what? You don't give your spouse a job description. Oh, it got quiet in here, and the AC's not on. <laughs> huh? You do not give your spouse a performance review. You know, well... I don't know, i give you a C. I feel like you could do better, but you know, we'll speak again in six months. That's a contract relationship. You cannot have a loving, intimate, healthy relationship with a human being if it is not covenantal, if it is contractual. Greece needed to forgive me and I needed to repent of my stupidity. And I know the Bible says you shouldn't call someone stupid, but you can call yourself stupid. That's okay, okay? I was being stupid. First Corinthians 13 says that love does not keep a record of? Wrong, wrong. That's a contractual relationship. So who do you need to forgive? And what I would say is you can sit down and write out the list of all the wrongs that they have done and you are going to forgive. Love can make a record of wrongs, but love cannot keep a record of wrongs. When you forgive them, you literally have the heart funeral. You list out the things you are specifically forgiving them for. You do not post it on the internet. You're like, yeah, Facebook, here's all the evil they did that I've forgiven. If you posted it, that proves you've not forgiven them. That's vengeance. That's vengeance. Love does not keep a record of wrong. You write out the list, you shred it, you set it on fire, it's gone forever. Jesus did this for you at the cross. That's what Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, that there was a record of all of your sin that was nailed to the cross of Jesus. And when he forgave you, that list of failures was forgiven and it was eradicated. God set it on fire, God shredded it. God doesn't keep putting it in front of your face. 
Who do you need to forgive? And what he's saying is we forgive as we have been forgiven. We receive this gift of forgiveness we shared with others. Forgiven people should forgive people. Number two, uh, forgiveness glorifies God. Exodus 34, six and seven, when we introduce ourselves to someone, there's usually a way that we do so. Hi, my name is so-and-so, and we have a little bit of an introduction. This is God's way of introducing himself. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, for what? Forgiving. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This verse is the most frequently quoted verse in the whole Bible. That means that this is God's life verse. That's amazing. And what he says is, I love people and I'm merciful and I will deal with them justly, but if they come to me, I really love to forgive people. To glorify God is to mirror or reflect God. I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, whatever you do, do it all to glorify God. We forgive people because we're forgiven people. We were God's enemies and Jesus loved us. That's why we love our enemies. We were God's enemies and Jesus forgave us. That's why we forgive our enemies. It has a lot more to do with this relationship than it does with this one. And when people ask, why do you love? Why do you extend mercy? Why do you extend grace? Why do you forgive? Because that is the character of my God and I want you to see his character reflected in me, amen? Third reason, we'll move fairly quickly. Forgiveness blesses you. God is so good that not only does he bless them, he blesses you if you do the right thing. Paul says this in Philippians three and he's talking here about his sin that he murdered people. He was arrogant, self-righteous, and a horrible man. And then he met Jesus and got forgiven. One thing I do, forgetting what? What lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. What Paul is telling us is the same thing that I teach my kids when I teach them to drive. And that is, this is reverse and this is drive. And you can only go one direction at a time, amen? Life is like that. If you're unforgiving, you're always going backward. Oh, I gotta talk about the past. I gotta think about the past. I gotta argue about the past. I gotta mourn about the past. Forgetting what lies behind, Paul says, I press forward. I make progress. Forgiveness allows you to move from the past, move on to the future. What we do when we forgive, we go back for the last time and we unload it and we bury it and we leave it with God and we move forward into the future that he has for us. And the big lie is this, that time heals wounds. It doesn't. Sometimes older people are the most embittered people. Sometimes older people are the grumpiest people because they're bitter and unforgiving. And we don't use the language bitter. Nobody ever says, I'm bitter. They say, I'm I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm wounded. All metaphors that bitter people use to sound like they're not the ones who were in sin. If they sin against you and you don't forgive them, then you're sinning as well. And as a result, you will be burdened and broken and bitter. How do you know that you are bitter? How about this, the archeologist always digging up the past. All you're, you're like, gosh, we're gonna go to high school again? We're gonna, go, we're gonna do that? Okay, we're gonna dig it up again. I thought we buried it. The tragic tale teller, they, they've almost got it down to a, a, a condo sales pitch. Let me tell you what happened. And they've just got it nailed. How about this person, the negative anniversary planner? Some people will remember certain dates and they're almost like anti-holidays, they're funerals. I know some people, it's on their calendar. This is the day they committed adultery. This is the day we got divorced. This is the day my dad died. This is the day that my friend abandoned me. There are certain people that literally, their emotional calendar is controlled by the worst moments in their life. Those are negative anniversary planners. How about this one? The, uh, the wounded digital warrior. I've been hurt. I'm gonna go on the internet. I'm gonna find everybody who's hurt like me. We're gonna come together like a swarm and we're just gonna run around stinging everybody else because we're messed up. Right, something to pray about. How about this one, the nasty nicknamer. We name two kinds of people, the people we love the most, the people we hate the most, right? Nasty nicknames. You don't even refer to them as a human being anymore. 
right? My wife reminded me that I do this. She's chuckling, it's not funny. I do this. I won't tell you any of the names. They're amazing and demonic, but they are funny, okay? But you don't, even, and she, you, you don't even refer to them by name anymore because now they're a caricature, not a person. And there's also the bitter believer. There's a gal named Ruth um, who's traveling with a woman named Naomi. It's her mother-in-law. Her husband dies, her sons die. She gets bitter against God. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant or sweet. Call me Mara which means bitter. She changed the name on her driver's license to bitter. How many of you, can you imagine that? You're like, oh, who's so-and-so? She seems nice, what's her name? Bitter, well, I'm out, I'm out. I was gonna take her out to coffee, but I don't think she legally changed her name to bitter. She says, because the Lord has made me very bitter. She blames it all on God. She blames it all on God. Has God sinned against anyone? No, God is the greatest victim in the history of the world. God has sinned against no one and everyone has sinned against God. Right, we live in a day when everybody's like, I'm a victim. Just sit in God's seat and imagine how much he's endured, all of it undeserved. Benefits of forgiveness for you, how it blesses you. It physically relieves stress. There's a guy at the University of Stanford, Dr. Luskin. He's done the largest clinical study of forgiveness and unforgiveness uh, that, is, that I think has ever been done. And he says it has these major health benefits. Your stress levels go down, your sleep goes up, your intestinal problems go away, your headaches diminish, your heart problems are reduced, right? Because we are, we are physical people and when we have a problem in our soul, it affects the carrier of that soul, the human body. Some of you, you don't need more medication, you need forgiveness. You need to get the burden off of you. It allows you to give up unenforceable rules. What happens when we're bitter is if they would say this or they would do that, we're trying to make people do things and they're free beings. It allows us to just release them. It allows us as well to determine where the hurt lives in our life. Rather than building an altar around it in the middle of the living room, we box it up, take it out to the garage and put it on a shelf and say, it did happen, but it's not the center of my life and I don't look at it every day. And I don't have others look at it with me. And it brings a greater anointing. This week I had the honor of meeting a Bible teacher named R.T. Kendall. He's in his eighties. He wrote one of the greatest books. It's called Total Forgiveness. And I met with him and was talking to him and he said, where there is greater suffering, if you forgive, there is greater anointing. That's what he told me. He said, there's not just suffering equals greater anointing, suffering equals greater anointing if you forgive. If you forgive. God will bless you if you will forgive them. Number four, forgiveness blesses others. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that know what? Do you know that bitterness has roots? When I was a little boy, we had weeds all over the yard. My dad said, Marky, still calls me Marky, um, go, go, go pull all the weeds. I looked at the weeds, it was summer. I thought, this is a job, I don't wanna do this. So what I did, I got a weed whacker and I thought, I'll just, I'll just whack all the, I thought it was amazing, look how quick that was. And then I went and played baseball and rode my bike. True or false, that did not fix the weed problem. <clears throat> It actually multiplied the weed problem. I gave married, I was like, these, these weeds had children. I mean, now we've got, you know, I mean, now there's weeds everywhere because a weed needs to be pulled up by the root. Bitterness has roots in your soul. It gets in there and you've got to pull it out. The way you pull out the root of bitterness is with the shovel of forgiveness. You got to get the roots. How many of you are like, I forgave them and then I hated them. Well, you didn't get the root, it came back springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Isn't that interesting? Bitter people do unholy things, bitter people do perverted things. This is particularly true in marriage. If you get bitter against your spouse, eventually you will commit sexual sin against them because you think I deserve better, I deserve more, they failed me, they owed me, therefore I am bitter and then I will indulge. This is a crisis and what happens is the bitterness grows up and it includes others. 
How many of you, that's why the holidays are hard because you have a bitter family member and getting together, you're just like, oh gosh, do we gotta do this again? Do we gotta talk about this again? Do we need to, can you just pull that root up? Because when we get together, your bitterness comes up and it blooms and now you're just spreading that through the whole family. How many of you grew up in that home where mom and or dad was bitter against the other and it corrupted the whole orchard? All the kids are just sort of infected with the bitterness. And here's the key for relationships, but especially for the marital relationship, you do not fall out of love, you fall out of forgiveness. Couples who forgive stay in love. Couples who don't forgive stay out of love. They fall out of love. And somebody says, I fell out of love. No, you know, you didn't, you stopped forgiving. This was not gravitational pull that was inevitable. This was a self-conscious decision, cause effect. The reason that Grace and I are together is because of forgiveness. If we'd stop forgiving, we would stop living together. Right, I always say this when I do a wedding, husband, wife face each other, and in front of the congregation, I say, there's only two problems with this relationship, this man and this woman. These are the only two problems with this relationship. And I say, what will come between these two people is sin and offense. And if they forgive one another, Jesus will pull that root and it won't grow in their family. But if they stop forgiving, then all of a sudden what you will see is many will become defiled. Family and friends will get involved in this, this conflict. How do you know that you've forgiven someone? You bless them. Jesus says to bless our enemies by blessing them. That is the test of forgiveness. Some of you are like, I forgive them, but I'm not gonna say, do, pray, anything nice. Then you've not forgiven. Blessing is the test of forgiving. Number five, forgiveness defeats the demonic. This might be the most significant insight on forgiveness that I have experienced in more than 20 years as a Bible teacher. I've read it in no book, but I did find it in this book. If you have what? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Sometimes we get bitter against people because they did something bad. Sometimes they didn't do anything, we're just jealous. How many of you, you don't like somebody because you wish you had what they had. The Bible calls that coveting. Oh, you're, you're married and I'm single. You're single and I'm married, right? We can get bitter either way. You're healthy, I'm sick, you're beautiful. I, you know, look at me, you know. You're, you got a raise, I got a termination notice. Your life is going awesome and mine is just a funeral. Sometimes people don't need to apologize for what they've done. We need to apologize for our attitude and our jealousy. And let me submit this to you. In the age of social media, this is worse than ever. Oh, look at where they live. They got a car. Oh, they're on vacation. Oh, you know, they went out to eat. And all of a sudden we can get very jealous peering in on the lives of other people. It's covetousness. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, what? Demonic. Here's the big idea. We're on earth. Things either come down from heaven or they come up from hell. That's why we say we live Kingdom down, not culture up. If you don't forgive, that comes up from hell. That doesn't come down from heaven. Satan and demons are never forgiven for anything. Satan and demons never forgive anyone. To not forgive is to do that which is demonic. It is satanic. What happens in bitterness and unforgiveness is it's a carrier for unclean spirits and demonic forces. What carried you here today was a car. It was a vehicle to transport you. Let me tell you this, Satan and demons, they travel in bitterness. That's the vehicle that carries them. Some of you didn't know this. You're like, I don't want demonic torment in my life and family. I don't want to be haunted. I just hate them. And Satan says, that's great. That's the vehicle that I travel in. If you don't forgive, you are inviting demonic, unclean spirits into your life and into your family. And I'm not talking necessarily for the believer of demonic possession, but I am talking about oppression. 
You're haunted, you're wounded, you're frustrated, you're broken, you're self-medicating, you're unhappy, you're relationally isolated, you're leaking, you're venting, you're stalking, you're blame shifting, you're not well. You're not well. And behind that are demonic forces at work. When you forgive, not only does something happen in the natural, something happens in the supernatural. Demonic strongholds are broken, torment is lifted, captives are set free. And what happens when you forgive, you're not allowing them to get away with everything, you're allowing yourself to get away from everything. You're saying, you know what, that's evil, Satan is involved, demons are involved, Lord Jesus, I don't even know what all is going on. I forgive them, I hand it to you, I hand it to the higher court, I'm gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna move on with my life. I want that for you, I love you. I'm your pastor, man. I don't want you to be forgiven and unforgiving. I don't want you to be forgiven and invite demonic. Some of you grew up in homes. Some of you have been around people. And when you get around them, it's just demonic. It's just unloving, unkind, unholy, unhelpful. And they just sit in it. And they're waiting for someone to deliver them and they don't realize that they invited the spirit in and they can remove the spirit simply by forgiving. Because light expels darkness. If you walk in the light, eventually the darkness has to flee. Forgiveness is also a witness to others. Dear believer, do not forget that when you are hurt, others are watching. That your ministry is for your misery, that your test is for your testimony. When believers fight with believers in front of unbelievers, the only winner is the devil. Here's an occasion of forgiveness. First martyr in the New Testament, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. You know how you forgive? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open, the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They're going to murder him. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city. They took up stones and stoned him. Next slide, please. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul because he's the, he's the leader. His name will be changed to Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's dying. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's echoing Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them. When he said this, he fell asleep and he died. Here's Stephen on his knees, stones thrown at him. They are murdering him. He is bleeding. He is bruised. He is battered. He is suffering. And he looks up. Who does he see? Jesus Christ. Friends, is Jesus seated or standing? He's standing. In the book of Revelation, I think in 13 of the 22 chapters, if my memory is correct, a throne appears. And seated on that throne is Jesus Christ. He's always seated on the throne. He looks up, Jesus gets off his throne. Why does Jesus get off his throne? To cheer for Stephen. Stephen, you're gonna forgive him. You're gonna forgive him. You're gonna forgive him. Jesus gets up off of his throne and he is standing to cheer for Stephen. You know, right now there are NFL games going on all over the place. And when something amazing happens, everybody gets out of their chair and starts making noise. When you forgive people, Jesus gets out of his chair and he starts making noise because you are breaking demonic strongholds. You are setting captives free. You are unburdening yourselves and you are glorifying God by showing the universe that the God of the universe has forgiven you and given you that gift to share. And the Bible says also, how many of you have heard this? That when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. How many of you have heard that? That's not what it says. It's close. It says that when a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? God, Jesus. When we repent, Jesus rejoices. When we forgive, Jesus rejoices. 
Jesus right now, if you will forgive them, he will get off his throne and the angels and the departed saints, they will see Jesus cheering because you are bringing the kingdom to the earth and it is battling against hell coming up to the nation. This is the problem and forgiveness, my friends, it is the solution. It is a witness to others. Now, let me ask you this. Who's watching Stephen praying and forgiving? Saul. Does God answer Stephen's prayer for Saul? Yes. You flip the page. If you know the story, Saul is riding on a horse. Who comes down to deal with him? Let me just tell you this. If you sick Jesus on somebody, he'll straighten it out. That's the moral of the story. Right? He comes down, knocks Saul off his horse. Oh, you're not charged anymore. Blinds him because he was spiritually blind. Now he's physically blind. Ultimately, Saul gets saved. He receives the forgiveness of sins. He goes on to be the one who proclaims forgiveness of sin. He's the one through the course of the New Testament that constantly proclaims the forgiveness of sin because he was forgiven. Let me say this. What they did to you, I'm very sorry, but forgive them and you pray for them and you might unleash on the earth the next apostle Paul. Because God uses what is evil for good and God works out all things for good. And, the, and you may want your enemy to be punished, but it would be greater if they got saved and became a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would even be a greater glory. Lastly, forgiveness opens you to the flow of the Holy Spirit. Satan and demons don't forgive, God forgives. When you are offended, you have a choice. I will walk in the path of the demonic and satanic. I will walk in the path of the love of God. Be angry and do not. Today's anger is not a problem. Yesterday's anger, that's a problem. You're gonna get angry, God gets angry. Anger is not a sin. But in your anger, do not sin. Today's anger is not a problem. Yesterday's anger, that is a problem. When the sun goes down in that culture, the day is done. What he's saying is deal with your anger, deal with your hurt, deal with your brokenness, deal with your bitterness, deal with your frustration today. Do not let the sun go down here. Give no opportunity to the the devil. Satan is looking for hurt people, broken people, disappointed people, bitter people, unforgiving people. He says, okay, now they're weak and vulnerable. Now is my opportunity. How do you know that you've forgiven? Well, your speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those two here. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says that we are to forgive from the heart. How do we know that we've forgiven from the heart? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you say to them? What do you say about them? Does it give grace to those who hear? Does it build people up or does it beat people up? This tongue was made by God not to beat people up, but to build people up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Every child of God has the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brings the forgiveness of Jesus and applies it to you. He dwells in you. He gives you a supernatural power to forgive others, to forgive others. Somebody say, I cannot forgive them. You are actually factually true. God is going to need to do something supernatural that overrides your will. When you forgive someone, it is a supernatural act. Some people say, what is the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit? I would say one evidence of having the Holy Spirit is forgiving people. It is a miracle. It takes the power of God. So you need to ask the Holy Spirit, as I have been forgiven, give me the power to forgive. He continues, let how much bitterness? All of it. You can forgive someone for 10 things, but if there's still one on the list, that root remains. All bitterness, how do you know whether you're bitter? Wrath, anger, clamor, slander. He says, put it all away, bury it, get rid of it. It's dangerous, it's toxic. With it comes demons and demonic forces and unclean powers, along with all malice. Be 
kind to one another, tenderhearted, not hard-hearted. What? Just read it. I'm not making this up. What's it say? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God, look what they did to me. Hey, look what you did to me. God, look at how much I've suffered. Uh, Look at my cross. God, they don't deserve it. Uh, Neither do you. That's why we call it grace. Forgiven people should forgive people. People who receive this gift need to share this gift. Number one, are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? If you are forgiven and you belong to Jesus and you've never been baptized, we're gonna baptize you today. And the past and all your sin and all your failure and all your regret, buried with Christ, you come up new person, new future, okay? Some of you are needing to make that step of faith today. We've got leaders in the back to meet with you and pray for you. And we knew it would be awkward if we asked you to change in your chair and leave your clothes there and go get baptized. So we've set this all up for you. Be exciting, but inappropriate. So what we've done, we have private changing stations. We'll give you shorts, a t-shirt, a towel. They will talk to you, interview you, baptize you, and then you can go back and change. And we'll all celebrate, amen? because we rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. We rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. So this is where you give your sin to Jesus. This is where you give yourself to Jesus. This is where you step forward and say, the past is the past, the future is the future, I am forgiven. And then we're gonna also partake of communion and we're gonna do it together. So I'm gonna invite the band up. If you've not been baptized, go to the back. If you have questions about Jesus, go to the back. And for everyone else, we're gonna partake of communion together, remembering Jesus' broken body, shed blood. And when you partake, you're saying, I am forgiven. And as a forgiven person, I forgive people. That's why we take it together, that we're forgiven, we're forgiving. So I'm gonna ask you to stand, please stand. We're gonna sing and celebrate because we have a reason to, amen? If Jesus gets up out of his chair to cheer when forgiveness happens, we get up out of our chair to forgive when forgiveness happens, we cheer as well, amen? All right, go to the back if you need to be baptized. As these great people are being dunked, I want you to sing and celebrate. I'm really excited because my daughter's baptizing one of her friends. I think they're up first. You guys happy to be forgiven today? All your sin, past, present, future, forgiven. God's presence in you. New hope, new life, new joy. Breaking of demonic strongholds. Participating in the revelation that God is good, God forgives, God is glorious, and His grace has fallen on us. Amen? Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.